Welcome to the True Wealth Investors Podcast, a show all about real estate investing to help increase your income, lifestyle, and impact. All right, so dealing with sellers. So usually um, in my situation, I'm, I prefer to talk directly to the seller. That's not necessarily always true because sometimes I'm working through a wholesaler or a realtor. And that just changes, changes over time really with the market. So when I got my start, most of my properties were through a realtor. There were um, there was a lot of inventory and a lot of deals on, on the MLS. And that was the easiest way for me to find those deals. And then over time, I started doing a lot of marketing myself. And so I was talking directly to the seller. And really in the last year, um, in the middle of COVID, I just cut off my marketing. I was kind of unsure where things were going to settle out. And in the last year or so, got in touch with a lot of virtual wholesalers. And so I've been getting my deals through wholesalers. So where you get your deal doesn't much matter. But if you are talking directly for with a seller, here are some things to do and some things not to do. So these are not in any particular order. Um, they aren't prioritized. They aren't alphabetized. They they are. This is just a list. All right. So here we go. One is um, to be personal. So. Um, there's a temptation, I think, when you're talking to sellers to appear like a company or, um, but we should be personal. It's much more effective if we're using their first name when we talk to them, um, if we're speaking to them uh, directly as an individual, as two people, instead of them as a customer and us as a, com a company. So I would say always be personal. And uh, we'll get back to that one on a couple of the don'ts, but definitely always be personal. Um, another one is uh, make your offers with specific numbers. So I used to do this when, what, 2015, 2014, when there were still a whole bunch of foreclosures and HUD houses listed, and you would always make your offer with a little bit more money tacked on. So if I wanted to offer, let's say, 70000 if I'm figuring other people are going to offer 70000 then I would offer like $71,113, right, as my offer. So if somebody put 70, I'd beat them. If they put 71, I'd beat them. If they put 71, one, I would beat them just by a little bit. So so it's good in that instance, but in this instance, if we're dealing directly with sellers, it is still a very good idea, especially if you're in a counter um, negotiation situation where you say, I think I can offer you, let's say 35,000. And they say, no, I need 50. If you come back with, well, maybe I can give you 40, they naturally think that's just a ballpark figure we're throwing out there. If we come back with, you know, I think I could probably make it work at 39 to 39,215. 
then that sounds much more specific. And like we've come to that number from some uh, great math calculation. So they tend to take that more seriously. So I would suggest always use specific numbers. Um, and I would argue that a seller does not feel comfortable in the whole negotiation back and forth with the numbers. And when we give them a specific number for the deal that will work for us, that brings them comfort too, because they realize, okay, here's, here's the number that we can settle at. So and that makes it better for everybody. Um, sometimes with the seller, the third one here on my list, it is good to force them to say no. Um, a lot of times if we're in a negotiation, we feel like we want them to say yes and be agreeable. But if we're not making progress, um, one thing I've found that's effective is to kind of state the, if they're telling me they want to sell their house. And if we can't come to, to an, any close to an agreement on price or terms or anything, then I'm going to state what I'm seeing. So uh, an instance would be, it seems like you don't really want to sell your house within the next week. Is that correct? Okay. Or it seems like you're not concerned about having to clean out the property before you move. So I'm gonna to try to force them to say, no, I am concerned or no, I do wanna sell my house, all right? So when, when they are forced to say no, they should be back into uh, the discussion and be telling me what they do want. All right, another one is focus on the end result with the seller. So the sell, for the seller to sell their house, usually it's a stressful deal. And usually they have some problem um, that they're dealing with that has initiated them talking to you. So I always work with them on focusing on the vision for what it'll be like after they've sold their house. Will, the, will their spouse be happier? Will their finances be better? Will they be moved on to another location? Will this headache be no longer in their lap? Whatever it is, um, help them focus on if they just put in this little bit of work to get the deal done, how will life be better afterwards? Um, another two on the list here are re restate and summarize. So if you remember, I believe it was two months ago when I talked about getting seller financing, the key, key first step is building rapport with that seller so that they feel like they know you um, and that you are actually listening to them. You, you truly want to help them. So a good way to do that is when they're talking, telling their story or talking about their problem is to one, restate it. So, you know, it, it seems like you're with the seller. I'm thinking of one where um, they called me to sell because uh, they had property taxes that were probably three years overdue. They'd been due a while. But that really wasn't why they called. Once I got their story and talked to them, 
the real reason they called was that one of their children was on drugs and kept breaking into the house stealing and they wanted to move to another area. So by restating, it sounds like your major concern is getting enough money to get into your new home, right? Or it sounds like um, we don't need a timeline related to property taxes. You just want to move as fast as you can, right? So when you when we restate it with a seller, one, it tells them we're listening, but two, we get to get some feedback as to whether we truly understand what's going on with them, what their main priority is. And then summarizing, you know, if they've told their whole story and you can say, um, so would you agree that if I can give you a fair price on your house and enough money to move to your new house within this week, you'd be happy, right? Summarize what their situation is and what your solution is. It's kind of like a trial close where you get to feel them out and see if you're on the same page, see if you understand their motivation. Um, I think I mentioned this already. I like to use words seem and feel. So it seems like this is your primary headache or it feels to me like um, you're not motivated by this. And that's a good way to, to uh, kind of get feedback from them. All right, another one. This was one I just, we uh, <clears throat> recommended to one of the members of our mastermind. This one is a definite do is to send an offer. Even if you aren't even close on terms, this was a seller financing deal. And one of our mastermind members, he was talking to the guy week after week and just couldn't get anything nailed down. And we said, send them an offer in writing that, and just give it to them. And then suddenly there's, the seller has this fear of missing the offer, right? So he gave them an offer in writing within a week, the seller agreed. So sometimes it's just really beneficial to get an offer in the hands of the seller. Um, and that's if they're unwilling to commit. And with that, I would always give a timeline. So uh, here's my offer. That is good for the next seven days or until January 1st or whatever your seven-day mark is. Three days, could be 24 hours, you know, whatever you're comfortable with. Um, additionally, another one would be make multiple offers. So instead of giving them, this is one that wholesalers, I mean, are really missing the ball on. Instead of just giving a low ball cash offer, which fits some sellers, but does not at all fit all sellers, give them multiple offers. So give a low cash offer and a seller financing offer and even a high price seller financing offer if it works. And usually that high price seller financed offer is gonna be uh, without any interest. So it's just a principal payment on whatever schedule you agree to. Um, and then once you give multiple offers, you'll get, to, you'll get to see pretty clearly what their main priority is. If they just need cash quick, if they're worried about the best price, um, really what their motivation is. And then the last one on this list of do's is follow up. 
And I have um, been terribly negligent in the in in the past with this, but I know uh, this is where the gold is is following up with those previous leads, and it's it's hard, but. Um, really, that's the benefit of a CRM and uh, putting those systems in place. Um, but even uh, the one I was talking about, the seller who um, called about property taxes, that was about a six-month process where I would check in with them, you know, one month, two months, send a text, see how they're doing. And uh, it really was the same deal with my farm. That was about a nine-month process. So. Um, it's good to follow up, and it really helps if you have a system uh, to do that. All right, any questions, comments, anything on that on the list of do's before I'll hit you with the four don'ts? Uh, take yourself off mute, Dave. I can't hear you. Sorry. Yeah, I just, I'm a very technologically challenged person. Uh, okay. So, you know, if, if this is going to digress us too much or lead us down a path, you don't want to go just say so. But I, you know, I was just thinking about a, an offer I made uh, a few weeks ago. And I, I walked through a property with a realtor and these folks were breathing down our necks. <laughs> they followed us around and room to room and room to room. You know, it's the, later the realtor said that was really quite odd. And, yeah, uh, and and um, I I got to thinking about it. I, I made a a low cash offer, so like it was uh they they wanted like two hundred thousand. I'm I offered them like one twenty eight. It was ridiculously low. I, I knew I was going to get it, but you know I, I was thinking about that as a flip. Now I'm pretty inexperienced at this, so I got to really thinking about all this, and I thought, man, I wish that I had taken the opportunity to, to talk to them when they were breathing down my neck, those sellers, mm. you know, especially when you're working with a realtor, the realtor wants to do all the talking for you. But, and, and I actually was thinking about something you said in another buying without banks. This is not the first time I've heard you say Chad stuff about offering multiple offers. And so now I wish I had rethunk it a little bit and thought maybe this would be better as a buy and hold. Um, the, the situation was the seller, the sellers live just up the street. There's a house being flipped by another real estate investor, a, a, um, a block away from where I live. These people fell in love with that house. They put an offer on that house with a con contingent that they sell their own house. Well, when I learned about that, I went to the realtor in charge and said, hey, whoever put that offer on there, can I talk to them? So fast forward back to where we started. We, I'm walking now with that realtor in the house of those people. And now I'm thinking they needed to get out of that deal quick. And I'm still learning all my, my seller financing techniques and all that stuff. And I, I don't have any of them down real well. But, you know, like a subject two, for instance, that wouldn't work here because they need to be able to refinance right away and buy this house they want right away. So they don't want to be bogged down with a mortgage that's still in their name, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm thinking, you know, here's my question finally. What would have been uh, 
in that situation, if there's enough information there for you, what would have been what you would have done? What kind of an offer would you have made them? What kind of seller financing would you go, had gone after if you would have gone after anything at all? Well, I think, I guess, initially, first, uh, I would have, I think, talking directly to the seller is great, you know, in that instance. And uh, I didn't do it. I should have. Well, yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> the, the, the idea or the thought. Yeah, yeah, right. That. Um, right. So I really like if the seller is at the house or if it's a if it's an investor selling, I like if the tenants at the house and mm-hmm. when I get there, I'm usually they want to get out of the way. I've never had them follow me room to room um, like you're talking about, but usually they want to get out of the way and I want to engage them and and get feedback from them because, um, you know, a tenant's going to easily tell you what headaches are with the house much more than me walking around um, and looking at it. And and it, if it's a seller finance deal, you know, I would much rather the seller know who I am mm-hmm. and I would prefer they, you know, get the, the offer from me. I've had uh, some failings where I had a realtor in the, in between that didn't understand seller financing, mm-hmm. you know, like Sham, he understands it. He can make that pitch right. and present that offer so right. that the seller understands. But right. if I'm trying to explain the offer to the realtor so that they can then go explain, that's a lost cause. So yep. um, primarily, if I was in that situation, I would have talked to them about their underlying financing, how much they owe on their house. Mm-hmm. Um ask if they can afford two mortgages could be they can afford it they just don't feel comfortable paying two mortgages or i mean it could be that they qualify for yeah. it they don't feel i'm paying one and they're paying the other then then i could do a subject to right yeah um if it's a situation where they have a lot of equity but they can't qualify for two then you could try to pay off the first mortgage and they leave their equity in the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't need cash for that move, they just need to be able to qualify for the house. Mm-hmm. Or the new loan, if they need to qualify for the new loan and they need a little bit of money for the move, then you know I would offer the balance of their first mortgage on their first house plus what they need to move and then some kind of financing terms uh, for the rest of their equity. Which if you were doing a flip, that probably wouldn't be that hard of a sell because mm-hmm. they want to move today, right? Mm-hmm. Or they want to get into the new house. Right. And the flip's going to be six to nine months, something like that, let's say. Mm-hmm. And so whatever equity they leave financed in the deal, they're going to receive in six to nine months. Mm-hmm. If they don't need it for the move, six to nine months really isn't a big deal. So um, I think, you know, I'm I'm thinking of another guy that I meet with regularly. They do a lot of flips with seller financing on the purchase and then the uh, sellers paid off when they resell it. Mm -hmm. And it's such a short term. Usually with seller financing, you don't want that short term financing because it, you don't want to have to try to refinance within a year 
<clears throat> well, with a flip doing the seller financing, that's fine for one year. I'm, just, I'm kind of wondering though that I, maybe I should have structured it differently. Maybe it should have been a buy and hold and not a flip. Um, I think well, that I was too wrapped up in the idea of what I wanted to do instead of what would work for them and meet what they wanted to do. See what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not listening and I haven't learned to listen enough yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's huge. You know, just getting that mindset of, yep. How do I figure out their situation, get a clear picture of it and what would solve their needs. So yeah, yeah sharp. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be that hard to reach back out to them and mm -hmm. get that information. Well, unfortunately the house they were in love with and, eager to move on has been sold to another. Oh, buyer. okay. That, that deals. So, so their motivation is gone now. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, maybe you reach out and reach out to them and give them an offer to uh, sign an option. So nothing's going to happen unless they find the house that they want to move to. Mm -hmm. That would give them I mean, right now, a lot of people don't want to put their house up for sale because there's no inventory and they, they fear they can't find another deal or a place to move to. Right. So if you could, you know, tie up the house with an option, give them the security that you're ready to close when they are, mm -hmm. that would give them the confidence to go look for their next house. Oh. So that could be an option for you. Options. The option is my option. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's a good question, though. <clears throat> um, all right, let's. I'll do these uh, these last four don'ts, and then I am up for any questions. So, and I guess I got to tell you my favorite Christmas cookie at the end too. I, I forgot to tell you mine. <laughs> all right, four don'ts. Okay, number one: don't make promises you can't keep. So yeah, whatever offer you uh, we make to a seller, we have to be able to follow through with that. And I would argue even if we're making an offer as a with the intent to wholesale it, if we can't find an end buyer, we should be willing to close on it um, ourselves. Mm -hmm. So for for that seller to feel confident moving on and taking the steps to move forward with their plans, we should, uh, follow through on any promise we make. Uh, the second one is do not focus solely on the numbers. And uh, the third one, I'm going to talk about it too. And uh, do not focus solely on the property. So it, it is a really this comes up all the time in, in our mastermind when we're talking about a potential deal. Someone will, one, talk about the property. It's a three-bedroom, one bath. It has a basement. It, you know, and they'll give all the details about the property. But we don't know the motivation of the seller. We don't know the ARV, you know, the, the, the key metrics uh, really that you need to know. But primarily, if we're dealing directly with the seller, none of it matters if you don't know the motivation of the seller and what they care about. That's got to be number one. And 
with that within that process of finding the motivation it should be building rapport get getting them to like you um as well so and that's you know it's true with the property it's true for the numbers as well if you're dealing directly with that seller and you know the arv and you know the repair value and it's going to be hard to negotiate that purchase price if you don't know what they really care about. So um, always focus on the seller and what they really care about. And the fourth don't is don't beat up the seller. So don't walk through the house and point out uh, that uh, ceiling tile needs replaced and all oh, this carpet looks worn and Oh, I can smell that you've had a dog living with you or whatever you would say. You know, there's a, I know there's the temptation to walk through and try and point out all the flaws in the house to mentally like lower that price that they expect. But in reality, if we do that with a seller, it just puts us at odds with them. Like we're competing, um, which isn't what we want. We want it to be where we're collaborating, we're working together towards a solution that, that fits both of us. And additionally, the seller lives in the house or is very familiar with the house. They know about the ceiling and they know about the carpet and everything else. We don't have to point it out to them. So I would just really encourage us to be a collaborator, be on the same team with the seller. Um, never never presented as though you're competing. All right, any questions, comments on those four? You agree, disagree? Nobody wants to call me out and argue? <laughs> no argument here uh, on don't beat up the seller. I agree with that, but I'm wondering what you do do in, to set up um, in, to open their mind to the possibility of uh, a lower number than they're expecting. Usually and not beating them up to do it. See what I mean? Yeah. 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 So usually my tendency is I tend to be on their side, but there's another party, right. That has the final say because it, I'm using other people's money. And so it really doesn't make sense. I'm not gonna take a deal to a private lender if we're not gonna make money, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't have credibility with my lenders by not making money. And so my tendency is I handle that with, um, I need to purchase with this criteria because I have investors I work with and to fit their criteria with the repairs, you know, and I'll, they know um, the condition of their house usually, but I'll say, these are the, the repairs uh, that we're gonna need to make. Does that seem, uh, you know, correct to you? And then I'll say the contractors that we work with, those repairs are gonna cost about this much. Based on that, I can offer all cash for this much, right? And if they go to, let's say my all cash is 50 and I've justified why it's 50. If they come back with, well, really I need 70, then usually I'll either you know, point out that 
I, I need to report to investors and lenders, or I'll come back with, um, you know, you understand that I, I get my money from other people and I need to meet their criteria. How, I just want to know from your perspective, how would I be able to pay 70 with this list of repairs that we've agreed to, right? And put it on them. And if they can't, you know, that, that kind of gives them the responsibility of explaining how, how you could pay over what my, my offer is. So that's one technique. Another good friend of mine, he doesn't do that. He, he more leans on his um, what would you, credibility. So he'll do, I've been doing this for a long time. I have, you know, all the standard contractors that I work with and here's what the numbers are with our repairs. And I know the market, I work in this neighborhood. However, he, he builds his credibility and the best I can do is this. And if they come back with, I need more, it's not competing. It's more of a, I understand why you would say that, but essentially this is my area of expertise and this is what a fair offer is. So I think you can, you can go either way, but those are two, two very fair ways to, uh, to handle that. Mm -hmm. That's a good question though, because there is always, there is always some give and take. Right. Right. Even, you know, you want to present as a collaborator, but you you have to be able to do that give and take even as a collaborator. Yeah. So that's a good question. Thanks. Yeah. What else comes to mind? Just any question and re related to sellers or. Um, you know, really the whole buying without banks thing. What, I mean, you're, you, I know, especially your situation, Dave, you're trying to figure all these things out. When you think about the process, is there a hurdle that like, do you feel like here's the biggest roadblock? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to dominate time here or anything. Um, um, for, for me, I, I think in the training that I was getting, and, and I don't want to sound like I'm, like I'm, um, trashing the people that I train with. Cause I, I think I've learned a lot of really great stuff, but they tend to be focused on flips. And, and so, you know, you learn the, you know, the, the formula, you know, everybody knows the formula, right? ARV times 70% minus rehab equals MAO. Yeah. This. And that ends up being, you know, I've kind of put a lot, of, I've, I've just, you know, done a lot of hypothetical math equations with that. And it ends up being that you're really trying to buy somebody's property at about 55% of fair market value. <laughs> and that's a, that's a, so, so your question to me was, what's the biggest hurdle? What has been the biggest hurdle for me? I, I guess I'm not, believing that anybody in their right mind is going to take my deal. So that's why I went out and did this offer. And I still thought I wouldn't take this offer, <laughs> you know, but I'm going to put it out there. Just, I'm going to make myself start to write offers. I'm just, because yeah. it takes a certain amount of courage to do that. 
when you're getting into this, right? Yeah. And so I just put myself out there and unfortunately I did it with a realtor and she was great. I, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, trying to hack on the realtor at all, but it was just like you said, um, they don't necessarily have to know how to represent um, a real estate investor. They, you know, they deal with 99% of the time, ordinary people that just want to buy a house or they want to sell a house. Right. And, and so, you know, they're not dealing in formulas and this kind of stuff. And yes, you're right. They, I have found that even people that have worked with real estate investors still don't know a great deal about seller financing and that sort of thing. So, you know, like just today, I had a meeting with that same realtor and I was telling her what a subject two was. And she came right up with the question of, are you sure this is legal? <laughs> you know, oh. <laughs> I, I'm sure it's legal. I, I'm taking a class uh, right now with uh, Vina Cox, Jones, Jones Cox. I don't know. I, I get those flipped a lot. Um, and I suppose everybody around Ohio knows who that is. And uh, I'm learning a great deal about subject twos and how those work. And I've taken some other workshops on subject two, but um, yeah, it's a legal thing, but you know, how you finesse that and present it to a, to the seller is another matter. You know, one of the things they taught me, for instance, is don't use the word subject to. Right. <laughs> not yeah. until you're not until you get to the paper stage of the whole thing. So, you know, how about what if we were to come up with something where I helped you with your payments to restore your your late payments or, you know, and I brought you uh, back to healthy and I'm and what I'm going to do is going to try to help you build your credit. You know, so you're trying to, I guess, teach them the benefits of this. I think in order to do that, at least for me, I have to really believe that myself. I got to really do believe that it's a good deal for the people. I'm not, I would never make a good used car salesman. And I, I don't mean to hack on used car salesmen, but you know, but you know, the jokes about the used car salesman, you know, the, the, the stereotype about it. It's like, um, I really, I, as corny as it sounds, I, I, I really do believe in ethics and it's important to me that the deal is good for me. It's good for them. It's got to be a win-win somehow. So not everybody that's selling a house needs a real estate investor to help them. True. I mean, if, if my wife and I were going to sell our house here in Kettering, I'd probably just get a real estate agent and do it very traditionally. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, we probably want fair market value for this house. But in this market right now, holy cow, you could certainly get that. I also think that this market, by the way, the other big hurdle you asked what that was for me, it's, as I said, the training has been very flip oriented. And it seems to me this market is a hot market. And it's very, very difficult to do flips. I was talking to like, um, for instance, Mike uh, Fry, who does a lot of flips. And mm -hmm. he's really, really good at it, very experienced at it. But he, he would even say, it's really, really, really slow right now. The market's going to have to change before that's going to move for us better. Anyway, I, I think it's been good for me, though, because I'm starting to think, you know, maybe I need to really think about now, how can I buy and hold that? You know, what could I do then that does fit this market? And 
So I think I had the right idea, but I just don't have the answers yet because I don't have the experience. See what I mean? So that's why I make phone calls to guys like you. All right. Well, good. I'm in, in all honesty, the fact that you reach out to other people and ask those questions puts you way ahead of, of the average. So I think it's, it's great. Um, Real quick to answer a couple of your questions. One, why would a seller sell for 50 cents on the dollar, right? That was your question. Or 55 cents maybe on the dollar, yeah. Yeah, and maybe even more, like, am I an ethical investor if I'm going to buy their house at at, uh, 55 cents on the dollar, right? And my answer to that is completely... You know, for me, I think you've heard me speak enough. I'm I'm much more on integrity and I want to sleep well at night and I want to serve people. And that my my belief is that I grow my business by serving more people. So I am not out there to try to take advantage. I'm there to help and serve. So it comes down to with someone selling their house 55 cents on the dollar. It comes down to that their motivation isn't money. Mm-hmm. Right. Us as the buyer and an investor, our motivation is money. And it needs to meet certain criteria financially. Sure. And for us, that might be cash flow, that might be profit on the flip. Mm-hmm. But that that number is going to change too. You know, if we were an institutional buyer. It might be tax write-off. It might be some other financial reason that's just numerical. But for the seller, a lot of times it's something else, right? Um, They need to move, but they don't feel they can uh, sell their house without cleaning it up or making repairs. Mm -hmm. Or they're embarrassed by the condition of the house and they don't want pictures of it on the internet or on the MLS. Or, you know, I mean, there's any number of reasons why a seller would sell to us um, at a discounted price. And usually it just comes down to, you know, convenience. Mm -hmm. So in that money is not what they're most concerned about. What they're concerned about is something else. Getting out of a problem. Yeah. So uh, I'm thinking of one I had was the seller inherited a house with ownership of the house with his seven siblings. He wanted out of that deal because he was the one taking care of it. His seven siblings just wanted to know where the money was at. Right. So he wasn't that concerned about the bottom, the price in the end. He was concerned that it closed and, and his problem was off his shoulders. Um, another one recently, the seller, they were, uh, felt like they needed more help moving into a retirement home, that transition, they couldn't take care of the house anymore. They had a first mortgage, but really their concern was that they could just walk away. They could pack their bags for the retirement home and just leave. Mm -hmm. And they didn't feel like they could do that with a realtor. So as long as the mortgage was taken care of and they were given the freedom to pack up and walk, they were thrilled. And it made sense. Is that a substitute for you? 
No, that one, we were going to do seller financing. Um, but then the more I got into the underlying terms, my private, my private lender, it worked out better. And that, that lender was looking for a deal. So I just did private money on that one. So, um, the, I've only done one subject to deal and that one, um, like you talked about, we never mentioned subject to, they, they had already bought a second house. They, um, knew they were going to have two mortgages within a month. They thought the only solution was to rent their first house. They were scared to death of being a landlord. And so, yeah, my, my discussion with them was, well, how about I'll buy the house, but we won't pay off your mortgage. I'll just start making that mortgage payment for you. And that was pretty much it. I'll be responsible for everything, right? You will not have any concerns and the mortgage payment will be paid. And they said, yeah, let's do that. You know, that, it was a quick sell. So, so it's really just meeting their need and, and money is not it, right? Mm -hmm. just, just find out that need and meet it. Um, your other thing was right now, a hot market, inventory's low. Inventory is at crazy record low right? So it's really hard to find deals, which is completely true. But my perspective on that is no matter what market we're in, something's going to be hard. If there was a ton of inventory, let's say 2013, 2014, oh man, you could pick up deals all day long, but it, it was hard. Yeah, couldn't sell them. Or you couldn't get financing for them, right? So you had to pay all cash. So there were other headaches then, and finding deals wasn't the headache. Yeah. So I tend to think uh, what is, Jim Rohn said, uh, our success is based on the set of our sale, not the direction of the wind. So mm -hmm. if, if we're going to get where we want to go, we can't wait for that wind at our back, mm -hmm. whatever we think that is. We need to be able to adjust to the market so that we're moving towards our goals, no matter what it is. Yeah. So right now the efforts on finding deals or being creative with what we do with the deal, um, which you mentioned, buy and hold instead of a flip or um, something like that. Um, but that will change. You know, there'll be inventory and then financing will be a problem. And so, so we got to just be able to keep moving forward, whatever it is. So. Um, really, I think that's, that's all I had for, for the discussion. If you guys have additional questions, Anthony, you have any thoughts there? Um, do you feel like your investors you work with, are there certain, um, obstacles that they have related to financing? You know, what are, what problem are you trying to solve for them? You're muted there. Sorry. You know, sometimes they just don't qualify, you know, to buy. And, and so, you know, I'm always on the look for, uh, you know, private investors for them. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, they had something happen. It's this, it's that. You know what they're doing, but, you know, they're, you know, that, that credit score is always that uh, barometer that can make you or break you. Yeah. And some, and, you know, 
it's becoming more of a game and maybe it's an unfair game, but that's what we got, that's what we have, unfortunately. And then, uh, so looking looking for opportunities for my for my folks, yeah, that, so that don't quite make it. You are, you're working with investors, right? These aren't retail buyers. Okay. So if you are an investor, let's say we were in the same market and I offered a rental for sale with, let's say, 10% down, 30-year amortization with interest rates a little higher than normal, let's say seven or eight, but there's still enough cash flow that they would cash flow 200 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. And the ARV is more on a, uh, let's, the, the house needs repairs, but the value is more, you know, they're, they're going to gonna be like a work for equity type deal. Would that be something that would attract your investors or what are they looking for? It, it, it could vary well, because a lot of people don't mind, you know, switching out equity. I mean, there's people, I know somebody who had a bankruptcy a few years ago, but he couldn't qualify for anything, but somehow he found investors and now he's buying properties left and right. Mm, yeah. Okay. So, you know, so, you know, it becomes a situation where, okay, I don't have income. I don't have credit, whatever it is. I don't. So, you know, so what I'm really trying to do is I'm looking for, so, but if they find an investor and then they make 20 grand off this deal, 30 grand off of this deal, whatever it is, what happens is they actually end up buying properties themselves cash and fix them for cash then selling them they're, they're self-funding you know and 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 you know that's why i try to still you know people all the time are worried about i hope i get this i hope i get that well if you just find the reason if you just find a way to get the cash you need you don't have to worry about loans you don't have to worry if you're approved for your personal mortgage or an apartment or or you know if you get turned down from something say well then fine i'll just buy it <laughs> Yeah, you know, I don't have to worry about can I will they approve me for my car for my lease? I'll just buy a car, and if I want more than one car, I'll buy as many as I feel like I want. You know, try to teach people that things that sort of always being fixed in this thing. That's why I'm here because I'm trying to find out other solutions so people can grow and realize that they're not always controlled and there's other avenues to them, not just what they're told. Sure, awesome. Awesome. I appreciate that. If you um, if you uh, look back on previous episodes of my podcast, there are some of these meetings and then additional meetings and uh, presentations I've done on how to present to private lenders. So if you want to give, uh, if that would help you with tips for mm-hmm. how your investors find people with money, um, that's all in there. So... Yeah, I'm embarrassed to ask you this. Uh, I don't know about your podcast. Oh, sorry. Um, True Wealth Investors Podcast. It's on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever, wherever you like to get your podcasts. True Wealth Investors Podcast. Mm-hmm. That's cool. it. Here, let me pull up the... Super simple. Uh, let's see if you can see that. Twelve investors podcast, maybe. 
Well, you can, can see the logo. logo. Mike. <laughs> so. I can't see the print, but I can see the logo. Yeah. But I, I wrote it down. I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Let me know what you think. We've done a lot of really good interviews, too, um, from investors around the country and, and big investors here in Dayton, too. So, huh. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, any other questions you got for me? Ready to wrap it up? I'm yep. fresh out. <laughs> I appreciate Thank you, you so guys much. hopping on. For some reason, I'm I'm preoccupied with Christmas cookies right now. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's your fault. My favorite Christmas cookie is is a little pecan pie. Just, okay. I can resist some, but those, I'm done. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Appreciate it, guys. All right, we'll take care. You. Thanks, everyone. Okay. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for listening to the True Wealth Investors podcast. Visit us at truewealthinvestors.com to find archived episodes with show notes and links mentioned in each episode. Be sure to click the subscribe button today and leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to share how the show is helping you along your real estate investing journey.